0: Support for all the books comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mint steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti, gelato, and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest. They're also the judge. To the delicious is in the details.
1: You're listening to All the Books. A weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 124, and today we are talking about books being released on September 12th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy. Here is my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello. We're late.
0: We are late. We're I didn't coming. want you to take
1: all the credit, so I decided <laughs> to help out with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're late. I got back from vacation on Monday, which is normally when we record. You have been a little under the weather. So it's Wednesday morning, but you know these books are still new, they're still fresh. The pizza is still warm. Uh, I think it's it's going to be all right. Yeah, okay. But then new, news- I'm,
1: I'm I'm assuming that you had a a great trip
0: I did I had a wonderful trip um it was it's kind of smoky in Wyoming right now from the wildfires happening Ooh. like all over the west um so it was a little hazy for the, for the first few days we didn't get to see like the full views of the Teton range until later in the week that was a little bit of a bummer but like these things happen when you travel you can't always control what you're gonna see or how it's gonna go um but you can't we did control really- the weather I can't. I have some powers. I can summon moose. We did see several moose, and I'm convinced it's because Bob and I did our moose call. Um, So we saw several (laughs) moose. We did a bunch of great hikes. The moose call is a real thing, but I'm not going to (laughs) demonstrate it on this podcast. (laughs) Come on. We went paragliding, which was awesome, and fly fishing, which I really enjoyed. I was a little worried that I was going to be frustrated uh, by like, it's so different from regular fishing. You have to move your body in a completely different way. Um, but the like patience part was much better cause you know, regular, like real fishing, you throw your line in and then you just like sit there and wait for something to happen. And with fly fishing, it's either going to happen like very quickly or it's not going to happen. And then you just recast. And I appreciated that. Um, so got to see a new part of the country that was, it was really good. And for once on a trip, I read books, Amazing. I know. um, Mostly on long flights, but I did spend a little time in the evenings in the cabin reading. um, Also, mostly because I was reading for this show, and the books this week are so good.
1: Oh my goodness, there's so many good books out today.
0: So... Before we get to that, though, I want to let our listeners know if you like this show where we recommend books to you, you should check out Book Riot's new podcast. It's called Recommended. It's going to come out once a week, and it features interesting people each recommending a book that they love. It's a short show. The episodes are 15 to 20 minutes total, and each one features two people, so you'll get like seven or eight minutes of someone talking about a book they love. We'll have a teaser for the first episode in the link Um, or a link to the teaser for the first episode in the show notes here. Uh, So click on that if you want to check it out. That first episode features Samantha Irby and Robin Sloan, uh, both of whom we've talked about on this show. So they'll each be recommending a book they love. The second episode features Celeste Ng and Tara Clancy who we also love on this podcast, and I got to interview Tara Clancy. You won't hear me, you'll just hear her, but it's a great interview. She does a great recommendation. There, This show is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so check out the teaser for the first episode of Recommended. It's in the show notes below. And don't forget to click subscribe in Apple Podcasts so that you can you know, get notified every week when new folks are available to recommend books to you. We have some awesome authors lined up for it.
1: Yeah, it sounds incredible. It's going to
0: be really good. All right, Lib, kick us off this week.
1: Wait, I'm brainstorming a GoFundMe page for the moose call. Like, <laughs> like, how much do we have to raise to get you to do the moose call on the Maybe, air? Uh, <laughs> I think that I will do it for our Book Riot
0: Insiders members as, like, an added okay. bonus someday.
1: <laughs> All right. That's the kind okay. of exclusive
0: content you get here at Book Riot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, moving on. Uh, my first book is so much fun. It is Warcross by Marie Lu. I am... I know I shouldn't be, but I am a little embarrassed to say that this was the first time that I've read Marie Lu. She's incredible! She is as incredible as everyone has said. It's amazing. Uh, This takes place in the future. There is a game called Warcross. It's a virtual reality game. It was invented by a 13 year old in Tokyo. And now 10 years later, it has basically taken over the world. The, you know, there's hundreds of millions of people play it all day. People, you know, gamble in it. Like, there's, like, little, like, black market parts of the game. Um, the, the best players are celebrities, like, huge celebrities. There are images on the side of buildings. Like, it's a big deal. It pretty much consumes everybody. And there's a young woman named Amika. She has a lot of troubles. Um, She should be in college, but instead her life took a different turn. Her father died. Um, She's had to pay off his gambling debts. She's a genius. She's great at hacking things, but she gets arrested. And so now she has a criminal record, which makes it hard for her to get hired to do anything. Most of her equipment is faulty. And she's working as a bounty hunter, Uh, Because there are so many people like breaking the law, but like not like bad, like gambling in the game, that they need other people to help them out. So she goes and collects these people who are who are wanted for like gambling, and she's trying to work off debts, but things aren't going very well. So like one night though, she's watching the opening night of the year's games, you know, over the Warcross games. Um, And long story short, she accidentally hacks herself into the game. Ooh! Um, And she's like, oh, I'm going to jail. That's that's it. I'm going to jail. Um, But instead, her idol, her heartthrob, the boy that she has been pining for for 10 years, Hideo Tanaka, who is the inventor of... Warcross. Like I said, he invented it when he was 13. He's now 23. He calls her and she's so excited and he has a job offer. He says that he wants her to come to Tokyo and become a spy for him. That he thinks that there's something weird going on at the games and he needs somebody to sort it out for him. And what she uncovers is a much bigger, far-reaching, more complex, sinister plot than she ever could have imagined. Um, it's so much fun. It's action-packed, like non-stop, like just incredible. Um, and it's, there's going to be another one, at least one more I know, that I know of. Um, so like it ends and it, like there's a resolution, but of course there's like some things that are like left a little open because there's going to be another one. And I used to always be like, I don't want to read books until they're all out, but I'm so glad that I don't really follow those rules anymore because this was so much fun. I'm glad that I read it now. Again, it is called Warcross and it is by Marie Lou.
0: Oh man, my first one this week is also really awesome. I just tore through it. You talked about it on our Fall Books preview. This is undeniably one of the biggest books of the year. It's Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Woo-hoo. She is the author of Everything That I Everything I Never Told You um, from a few years ago. And this is another really fantastic memoir that deals with some of those same uh issues of big family secrets and identity and fitting in or not fitting in. Um, It's set in Shaker Heights, which is a neighborhood in Cleveland that's a planned community, Um, and it's basically about the – tension between two families that exist in this community. One are the Richardsons. Um, They are exactly what you would think of wealthy people who live in a planned community. She writes for the local paper. He's a lawyer. They have four kids. Um, Everyone is very polished. And by all accounts, like this family looks to be pretty much perfect from the outside. The youngest kid, Izzy, though, when the book opens, has just set the family's house on fire. Uh, And... The rest of the book is a rewind to what leads up to that moment. I love books that are constructed this way, where you get the big event first, and the rest of the book is a "how did we get here?" Um, so Secret I was history. exactly that's what I was thinking of. Um, I just love that setup. Um, so I was I was predisposed to really enjoy this book, but Celestine's writing is just. Incredible. Um, In addition to the Richardson family, there's a new family that moves to town uh, a single mom named Mia and her daughter Pearl. Mia is an artist. She and Pearl move to a new town like every year or so. They've been just sort of nomads their entire lives and they're supposed to be settling down now. Uh, Pearl is in high school. She wants to put some roots down. Mia has told her, This is it. We're going to move to Shaker Heights. We're going to settle down. This is it. But of course, things are not that simple. Um, Mia has a coworker at a local restaurant who she finds out gave up a baby um, a year or so ago, and that baby is living with another local couple who had adopted her after she was given up. Um, but since the baby was not given up through traditional means, uh, it wasn't a formal adoption, and now the mother wants the baby back. Um, And the baby is Chinese American. And so there are questions too of should she be with the wealthy white family that could provide her with the kind of life and opportunities that, you know, seem to be the kinds of things that every baby should have? Or should she go back with her mother who is a single mother who's struggling? She's an immigrant, but she is her real mother and she can convey her heritage to her. The town is sort of torn up over This controversy about the family and it's set in the um, early to mid 90s. So all of this is happening in this small town against the bigger backdrop of the Clinton Lewinsky scandal. So you can kind of harken back to what if you if you're old enough um, to what the culture felt like at that time. This is so nuanced. The book moves between a bunch of the characters' perspectives and experiences, Um, and Celeste Ng handles the white lady who makes very bad ethical decisions just as deftly as she handles the teenagers who are sort of stumbling through figuring out their relationships and their identities and making some really adult decisions and difficult decisions, um, keeping secrets from their parents, parents keeping secrets from each other and from their kids. It's just so, so good. There is so much to chew on i don't want to give away any more of it but it's called little fires everywhere by celeste
1: Ng. i don't want to i'm sorry to be that person but you called it a memoir at the beginning i, I did want to, i want to yeah <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> i want to point out it's that definitely that not, it's not a novel it's a novel, um, it's a novel. Okay. yeah <laughs> And it was just picked for Reese Witherspoon's book club. Oh, that's
0: right! Awesome, congratulations that's to Celeste. That is huge. I can't yeah. believe
1: I said memoir. It's that in, kind of in, day. You were like in the group, and you were like, but like this memoir, and I was like, uh oh, oh, what do yep. I, I say it now? Yep. No, that's
0: these things happen. I don't know hey, what day it is. You do. don't know what day it is. Oh it's,
1: my goodness, it's so bad. <laughs> Seriously, y'all, I called somebody today to apologize for being late and they're like, it's not even this day. <laughs> and I was like, okay. You know what
0: though? It's not as bad as the day that I put deodorant on the outside of my shirt.
1: That, that's a good one. <laughs> oh while we're not talking about books some more, can I ask you about one more thing and I'm really sorry to everybody for bringing this up. but can we talk about how you had a spider so big hanging from your ceiling that it was casting a big shadow? <laughs>
0: Uh, There's nothing else to say about it. What did you do?
1: Oh, I it turned out to be I dead. moved. <laughs> Bob
0: poked it with something and it didn't move. And then we poked it again and it fell and it turned out it was dead. But yes, it was oh. an enormous It was an
1: enormous <laughs> spider. I saw you that know, photo and I was like, I'm not going to visit. And so they removed like, that from the house. <laughs> we are
0: having all kinds of wildlife experiences Seriously? in my house this summer. Somebody on Twitter recently sent me, I should find it and put it in the show notes. Um, somebody sent me a video of Irish people trying to get a bat yes. out of their kitchen. And they were like, surely a million people have sent this to Rebecca Shinsky already after my bat experience. And that person was actually the only one who sent it, but it was really? hilarious. Yes, Oh yeah. They were like, on
1: their Jimmy Kimmel show the other night. I mean, they're like famous now. Oh,
0: that's, it's so funny. It was like, well, we were a lot swearier when, it, when there were bats in our house. Um, really?
1: I can't yeah, imagine. But, <laughs> I know, right? Shocking.
0: <laughs> now that the weather is cooling off, Hopefully the summer critter invasion is over. But, I mean, who knows what the fall will bring. I'll probably, like, have raccoons next.
1: Okay. I swear we're going to talk about books again. (laughs) But first, boobs! (laughs) (laughs) That brings me to today's first sponsor. It is Third Love. Look, it's no secret that bra shopping is a drag. I would rather curb stomp a puppy Or hang out with Nicholas Sparks then go bra shopping. I mean, I just really... I hate bra shopping. Uh, But you can skip all the hassle and find a perfect fitting bra in minutes if you check out Third Love. You just take Third Love's online fit finder quiz and they'll recommend the bra that's the right size and shape for you. I... Obviously, you've you've all heard us talk about this a million times. Third love is the best. I had a friend the other day. He was like, could you tell my sister about that bra that you wear? And I wasn't even, like, weirded out because I knew exactly what he meant. (laughs) Like, yes. Yes. I'm going to start wearing, like, a big T on my shirt on my chest and just tell everybody about third love. Um, But because they're just so comfortable and I've never had a bra that fits so well and it doesn't make me... Like, all stressed out by the end of the day because it's squeezing my insides up into my skull. And they're just, they're so good. And they're, they are really serious about helping you find the perfect fit. That's why it is the only lingerie brand that offers bras in half-cup sizes. And best of all, you can try one of their amazingly comfortable 3rd Love bras for free for 30 days. You just pay 2 dollars for the shipping. You can do whatever you want with it. You cut the tag off, wash it, wear it. You do everything that you would normally do in a third love bra, you know? Like, you you went, what was it? You went traveling? You were mm-hmm. wearing yours and you were like, this was the best because usually it's so uncomfortable. And I was like, what do I do in mine? I, I sleep in it and I lay around and read books. That's what I do in mine. It's awesome. <laughs> I did actually take it for a walk outside into the hammock the other day. That's about it. <laughs> As far as it's made it out of mouth. I'm (laughs) envisioning you with, like,
0: an animated bra on a leash, like, taking your pet bra for a walk around the corner.
1: (laughs) Oh, I was so mad because I went out into the hammock and, like, all the sleeves are cut off my t-shirts because Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is my fashion idol, apparently. (laughs) And I got a mosquito bright like, right above my bra strap. And and so, like, every time I moved, I was like, "Mm." it's making me crazy. Anyway, I digress. But seriously, Third Love so comfortable. And if Third Love the Third Love bra isn't your new favorite, there's no problem. You can return it or exchange it for free. Uh, so go to ThirdLove.com/books to find your perfect fitting bra, and you try it for thirty days. That's ThirdLove.com/books to try your new favorite bra for free. We will have a link to it in the show notes, and we thank Third Love for sponsoring. All right, all right. Okay, we're we gonna talk is... about books again now. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back <laughs> to books. I mean, for a little bit. Who knows what else is gonna happen? Okay, I have a good one, and I think I mentioned this one on the preview show too. They're all like coming out like right now, apparently. <laughs> yeah, this uh, is a huge
0: week. Yeah,
1: it is. Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. She is awesome. She has written a few mystery books, um, and she also is one of the writers for Empire. And this is a new book, a new, hopefully, series about Darren Matthews, a black Texas ranger in East Texas. When the book opens, he is in a bit of trouble. He has had to make a difficult decision between his job and his roots. And it has gotten him into trouble, and he's on suspension. Um, He receives a call from a friend of his from when he was in school, who now works for the FBI. And he says, I need you to go down to Lark, Texas, since you're not doing anything. Um, you know, could you go check out this this problem for me? It turns out that there have been two deaths in a few days in this very, very, very small town. Uh, the first was a black Chicago lawyer, and a few days later, a local white woman. Um, now, he, so he's like, okay, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'll, I'll go check this out. So he gets down there, and he's basically surrounded by good old boys. Um, not just good old boys, but also the Aryan Brotherhood. So he's really excited to be there. Um, He talks to the sheriff of the town. The sheriff's like, oh, the lawyer's death was an accident. Even though, like, all things point to it not being an accident. You know, he's just like, oh, it was an accident, but somebody obviously murdered this white woman to take revenge. Um, And he's trying to, like, make it a racial thing, and he's trying to get Darren out of his town. But Darren wants to get to the bottom of it, not just because he wants justice, but also because the lawyer's widow is there in town now and he's very drawn to her. She's very attractive and charming, and he wants to find out, you know, what happened to her husband. And so he spends time in this town, much to his own detriment, um, trying to solve the crime. And it's just, it's, it's not like, it's not slow moving, but it's, it's like, it's like a perfect pace. And it's so smart. And the ending of this book like, I was like, "That was really good." What happens? But then something else happens at the end, and I was like, "What?" Like, and then I called my friend, and she was like, "What?" Because she read it too. <laughs> and so we're super excited, hoping that means that there's going to be another one. Um, but it's just, it, like I said, it's so smart and and uh, not fun. I mean, death, murder, not fun usually. But it's excellent. It's again, it's called Bluebird. Bluebird by Attica Locke.
0: Right. This like this episode is solidly. In my wheelhouse. I have a good novel. I have a good nonfiction. I have, you know, a, another I, I have a good memoir. Uh, <laughs> actually, I have two good memoirs. Uh, but the my next pick is my good nonfiction sort of self helpy It's Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. You listen to this show, and so you know that I love Brene Brown. She is a sociologist and researcher who studies um, shame, vulnerability, resilience, and essentially how we need to live in our lives to feel happy and to be connected um, with each other and to have all those things that make us feel good, and connection is one of them. Um, This book, I think, comes at a really important time, and you can tell that it was written informed by the moment that we're... In, Um, She was inspired to start thinking about this years ago when she read a Maya Angelou quote, um, where in an interview Maya Angelou says, I think it's with Charlie Rose, she says, you are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. And this like stuck in Brene Brown's mind for years, and it made her mad because she was like, no, we need to feel that we belong. Having the feeling that you belong is really essential to human happiness and to human health. So what does this mean? Uh, but as her career progressed and as her understanding of connection and vulnerability um, increased, she started to get it, that what this really means is you have to belong to yourself first. Um, And so Braving the Wilderness is about what it means to fully belong to yourself. It's not about changing who you are, it's about being who you are, Um, that how do you find the courage to really show up as who you are and let yourself be seen and take the risk of possibly being alone in doing that. And that like possibly being alone in doing the things that are true to you is what she's getting at with the notion of being in the wilderness, braving the wilderness. Um, But she's also writing about how, especially right now, we're in this moment of profound disconnection and divisiveness and political dissent and people are not only not connected to each other, but are really not very good to each other very often. Um, and to get back to us being healthy and happy and whole and to heal our nation, she writes about four practices of true belonging um, that help us to do those things and also to connect um, more fully with each other, to honor our own humanity and civility. Um, one of them is speak truth to bullshit, but be civil. Um, and she's if you've been reading Brene Brown for a while, like she's usually... Um, very widely applicable. I think this book is also very widely applicable, but she has been, I think she's played it a little safe before, but she pulls the claws out a bit more in this one. She's talking about the social and political moment that we're in, um, the necessity of resisting, um, of speaking truth to bullshit, but also of uh being true to our humanity and the humanity of the people that we're criticizing um that you know she makes the point of you know if you were offended When Hillary called Trump supporters a basket of deplorables, then you also should have been offended by the things that Trump called Hillary. Um, That these things go both ways. Um, And you can switch the equation around that if you were offended first by things that Trump was saying, you need to apply the same criticisms to things that people on the left say about people on the right. And that if we want to get anywhere, we have to remember that the people we're opposed to are still people, and treat them as people um, rather than dehumanizing them in the process of criticizing them. It's very. Um, I grew up in the church, and I and I found this to be very convicting. Is that that's the word that? I think if I were hearing these ideas in a sermon, I would have um, felt there, because it's like Brene knows us. She spends her life talking to people about their experiences, and she knows that that drive is to dehumanize the people on the other side from you, but we're not going to get anywhere doing that. So I really was happy to see that she went there, that she talked about politics and the current social moment, and that the book is a call um, in, you know, in a very big way to stand for what you believe is right, regardless of whether you are alone or surrounded by people who agree with you, um, but also to behave in a way that you can feel good about and be proud of. Um, There, like, I think like in any self-help book, there are things that you don't want to think about are things that you need to change about yourself or that you might be better or happier if you changed. And so it sort of gave me that like prickly uncomfortable, like, you don't know me feeling, but the truth is that she does. Um, It's a Really excellent Uh, I think uh, her work builds on itself as researchers work tends to do you don't need to have read daring greatly or rising strong to get a lot out of braving the wilderness but they all stand together as a really nice collection of ways to think about how we are in the world Um, so again it's braving the wilderness the quest for true belonging and the courage to stand alone by Brene Brown nice Yes, it's so good. It's so good. I read it on a plane and I was like, maybe this is a terrible decision because Brene Brown gives me existential crises,
1: (laughs) but it was fine. That's what they have those little bottles of alcohol for. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to hear about my next book? I definitely would. That's what we're here for. I've been sitting on this one forever. My next pick Is The 12 Mile Straight by Eleanor Henderson. Um, Before I give you my description, I just want to let you know that there are trigger warnings in my description for racialized violence. Um, But it is The 12 Mile Straight by Eleanor Henderson. She wrote 10,000 Saints. Um, This one takes place in Georgia. It opens in Cotton County, Georgia in 1930 um, at the house of a sharecropper named Duke Jessup. Uh, His daughter, Elma, has just given birth to twins. Or has she? It turns out that... Uh Elma, actually I say Emma. her name is Elma. <laughs> I'm just messing this one up all over the place. Um Elma is pregnant, but also pregnant in the household is Nan, the young black housekeeper who has grown up like Elma's sister. A juke decides to hide them away until the babies are born um for reasons. Uh and and they give birth around the same time. And because it is a small town and there's lots of gossip, rumors get around that Elma gave birth to twins and that one is light-skinned and one is black. And Juke, being the horrible human that he is, um, and now feeling completely disgraced because of these things they're saying about his daughter, to save face implies that Elma was raped by a field hand. Um, And asks his neighbors to get justice for him. Uh, so horrible, horrible. The field hand is lynched and dragged down the 12 mile straight, the road that runs from his place to town. Um, and, you know, Juke, because he's a powerful man in town, he greases a lot of palms. The story, you know, he doesn't get in any trouble. The story sticks that, you know, um, this, this man did this terrible thing to his daughter and everyone just moves on, even though, um, you know, the people who live there know the actual truth. And despite the horrible truth, the women go on to raise the children um, throughout the years. And uh, later they are contacted uh, because they, they are wanted for a t- study of twins because you know, of the difference in their skin color. Um, this, this school in, I think, Maryland wants to study the twins. And now the Jessup's are experiencing some sort of financial troubles. So they decide that even though they're not actually twins, they're going to take them and try to pass them off. But they don't know, like, are they going to be able to tell that they're not twins? I mean, what's going to happen? What are the repercussions going to be if the secret ever gets out? Um, I don't want to give any, any more of the plot away. So I will just say that this book is incredibly amazing. It's also incredibly hard. Eleanor Henderson is a magnificent writer. Um, it's, it's really spectacular. Again, it's called The 12 Mile Straight by Eleanor Henderson. Whew. Yeah, like, whew, everything, like getting it out. I I mean, (laughs) everything. That's a lot. (laughs) Um,
0: Let me talk about our next sponsor and give us all a chance to breathe for a minute. Um, Our next sponsor this week is Montpellier Parade by Carl Geary. This is a novel, this is a debut. Um, about a woman named Vera. She is beautiful, wealthy, and unknowable. Sunny is young and hungry for the world. The moment they meet on Montpellier Parade will change the course of their lives. This unfolds in the sea-bright, rain-soaked Dublin of early spring. It's a beautiful cinematic novel about desire, longing, grief, hope, and the things that remain unspoken. And it's about how deeply we can connect with one another and the choices we must also make alone. Um, But we have a nice little through line going here with Brene Brown to connect Uh, This debut, um, says Publishers Weekly, about an unconventional love affair between a teenage boy and an older woman is unassuming but gorgeously rendered. Um, Carl Geary has had a really varied career. This is his first novel. He moved to New York at 16. He co-founded two East Village institutions, the music venue Sinead and later The Scratcher, which he still owns. He's worked as a scriptwriter and as an actor. He has adapted and directed Dorothy Parker's story, You Were Perfectly Fine for the screen. And he once also appeared on an episode of Sex in the City. Um Publishers Weekly calls Montpellier Parade pitch Perfect. Um sounds like a really interesting novel to me, especially now that we're going into fall, rain soaked early spring, Dublin sounds lovely. The book again, is Montpellier Parade by Carl Geary, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. ok. This is my tough one for the week. I also oh, read this in the airport you're and that crazy. was. I know. I know. Bob Bob was like, what are you reading? And I was like, it's a dog memoir. And he was like, why are you reading that in the airport? <laughs> like, It's called Afterglow, a dog memoir by Eileen Miles. Um, I do not recommend reading this when you have been hiking at altitude and are under-rested and emotionally compromised in the airport. That was a bad decision. But reading the book overall was a great decision. Eileen Miles, if you know her, is A poet and essayist. She is very frank and forthright, but also her writing is creative and really lovely. And this is a book about her pit bull Rosie that she adopted in 1990 from a litter on the street and about the 16 years, 16 years that is such a good dog life that they shared together during which. Uh, Eileen Miles was devoted to Rosie in a way that she was never devoted to any other relationship that she had had previously, right up through Rosie's final days. The book, I know, I know, like I had to practice talking about this. I described it to Bob on the couch last night so that I would could try not to cry on the show. So the dog does die early in the book. Um, we know from the very beginning that she's writing this, like the dog died in... Uh, 2006, and she was writing the book in 2016. So she's also writing it with a decade's worth of reflection on what Rosie meant to her. Um, But through the lens of her relationship with Rosie, we learn all about Miles's life, about um, the ways that she struggled with intimacy and relationships, um, about what her life was like as she became increasingly well-known and something of a celebrity, about alcoholism and being in recovery, about her own family's history, and about how she dealt with the grief of losing this dog. Um, Her devotion to Rosie and the way that she writes about the really difficult, sad stuff in Rosie's last days when she was getting really sick and she was a 16 year old dog. She had a hard time moving. She couldn't, you know, do the things that healthy dogs can do. It's, it's heartbreaking, but really beautiful. And if you are a pet owner, I think it's very inspiring. It's about how you want to be for your animals in their last years. Um, but man, it's, I'm tearing up now. It's, um, <laughs> It's tough, um, but it's really, really beautiful, um, and well worth a read. Um, it's not a surprise that this is a book that deals with a dog's death. It's not, you know, 300 pages of narrative where the death hits you on the head at the end. Um, the, she writes about the moment that Rosie died and, um, where she was and the people who are with her. And it's really sad, but it's also very just direct. She doesn't, she's not trying to play it for emotional effect because that kind of moment just has its own emotional effect. It's, man, <laughs> it's tough, but so good, so good. If you can go there, um, I really encourage you to. It's called Afterglow, a dog memoir by Eileen
1: Miles. Please save me, Liberty. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I could do it. You're brave. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I get upset, like, on a daily basis. Like, talk, I'll be, like, talking to the cats, and then I'll be like, someday you'll be gone. And then I'm a mess, and <laughs> Pete will be like, talking to the cats again, huh? I'm like, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, that's, it's so real. Eileen <laughs> Miles is amazing, though. I have read her she other is. books. She's incredible.
0: Uh, And there's like some, I should say, there's like some whimsy in the book too. Like one of the chapters imagines Rosie getting interviewed on a puppet talk show. (laughs) and, And the book opens with a letter that she, that Miles claims she got out of the blue one day from a lawyer who was representing like dog kind and had selected Rosie to be one of the like class action dogs from it. It's like, there are some moments of like real whimsy and humor. It's not all just a five... Well, alarm snot bomb but a lot of it is a five alarm snot bomb so just come prepared
1: <laughs> uh now for something completely different my last pick is nonfiction. It is ranger games a story of soldiers family and an inexplicable crime by ben blum uh it's about a man named alex blum In 2006, he was a 19-year-old Army Ranger. He grew up in Colorado. He wanted to be a hockey player. He was not the smartest. He was not the best on the team, but everyone would say that he worked the hardest. He didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He was the responsible one when his friends partied. He volunteered. He was just like a stellar, stellar student. He was the kid that like every parent wanted to be their child. Like he was exceptional. And for his whole life... All Alex wanted to do was be an Army Ranger. He grew up with a grandfather who had fought in World War II and told him stories. Um, he was obsessed with Stephen Ambrose books and watching, you know, Saving Private Ryan. And he spent like $5,000 of his own money on books about the Army and he studied all the techniques. But what he most wanted to be was an Army Ranger, which is a very hard thing to be. Not many people who apply themselves get to be one, even when they're in the Army. Um, but he goes to school. He gets through school. He is one of four people out of 60 who get to be an army ranger that year. And so, like, this is a big deal. This is his whole life. And he's achieving his dreams. Um, and then, so he's now stationed in Seattle. It's 2006. The Iraq War is going on. Um, and two days before his, his group is supposed to be deployed to Iraq, um, he is involved in a bank robbery. Um, he and five other, uh, excuse me, four other men rob a bank. Alex drives the getaway car, um, and his family is stunned. His community is stunned. Everyone is stunned. Here's this kid who worked his whole life, this like straight laced, upstanding citizen, worked his whole life for this dream, and like a few months later, he blows it. You know, driving the getaway car in a bank heist. So no one can believe that he did this. No one, no one can believe it. So his cousin, Ben Bloom the author, he decides he's going to investigate because, like, no one can understand what has happened here. Uh, And it turns out to be this, like, story of toxic masculinity and brainwashing. Alex originally says that he thought it was an exercise. He actually thought that robbing the bank was a ranger exercise that he was taking place in. And you don't say no to your commanding officers because the guy in charge was his sergeant. And so he went along with it, thinking, like, you don't turn your back on your brothers and you do whatever they tell you to do. And so he drove the getaway car in a bank robbery. You know, and people are, like, saying, like, he's lying. He's, he's making this up. This kid isn't very smart. You know, all these things. And, like, now Alex's dreams are over. Like, that's it. Like, he got a few months of this and now his dreams are over. And he is put in jail, like, waiting trial. And he has some time to, like, reflect on, you know, what has happened in his life. Um, and there are, and he writes like a, a memoir and he writes letters to Ben and Ben interviews him. and, and the story comes out of like training hell, like how um, the the recruits are treated like when they go to training, like army training is hard. Uh, Ranger training is is even harder. and like they go through sleep deprivation and people just screaming at them all the time and calling them names and, you know, being forced to do, like, uh, drills in the middle of the night, or do drills for hours, or, like, hold a telephone pole for 48 hours, you know, like, crazy stuff, and how this sort of turned Alex into a different person by his own account and by other people's accounts, like, his family saw changes in him when he would come home, you know, he was withdrawn, and he was different, and he didn't seem like the same person that he was, Um, and so we learn about that, we also learn about the man with the plan, Sergeant Summer, and how... He, he was from Canada. He came down to be an army ranger. Again, also his dream. He was a little more, shall we say, unbalanced. Um, he was very manipula- manipulative um, by, by lots of accounts. Uh, he was already in Iraq for one tour of duty. Um, his mom said that he had PTSD. She was very worried about him. Uh, she had actually called his, his commanding officer and said, you know, I'm worried about my son. I think that you know something happened to him when he was in Iraq, and we have all these problems. And his commanding officer went to him and said, if your mommy calls again, you're going to be doing more work. Um, like that's how they they responded to her concerns, you know. And, and later on, he robs a bank, you know. And um, but like he fled back to Canada, and like a couple of the other guys disappeared, and like it was like this big and involved like story. Um, and it's just, it's so fascinating because this guy is, like, out there. I mean, he does some crazy stuff, and, like, his reasons for robbing a bank are, you know, first they're political, and then they're, like, money-driven, and then, you know, it's just all these people. And, like, who is telling the truth? Like, he says Alex knew that he was robbing a bank, and then he says he, well, he didn't know. And, um, it's just so fascinating. The guy who, um, came up with the Stanford experiment gets involved. Uh, Alex ends up on Dr. Phil talking about it. Um, and it's just all about, like, the truth of what happened and, like, fascinating stuff about brainwashing. I'm going to stop talking about it now. Again, it's called Ranger Games, A Story of Soldiers, Family, and an Inexplicable Crime by Ben Blum.
0: I was not expecting that to go to the place of bank robbery.
1: Right? Well, yeah, nobody was. <laughs> happens. So surprising.
0: My last pick this week is also a really stunning memoir. It just came out. No one had galleys of it. You know what it is. It's what happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Um, I'm only about a hundred pages into this because I started reading it last night, and I have already teared up a lot of times. Um, I've also heard that if you're listening to it on audiobook and you are a Hillary supporter or fan or admirer or whatever word you want to use, you're guaranteed to cry because she reads it herself. Um, I'm too slow on audio to have done that. I wanted to read it really quickly because Amanda and I are going to see her at an event in DC next week, um, and it is stunning. Uh, It's really open. It reads the way that you would expect a memoir to read. This is not a 600-page policy memoir the way that um, Hard Choices was. This is about the last couple of years, um, about her decision to run for president, why she ran, and what she believes happened during the campaign. Um, And It's about what it's like to be the first woman candidate for president in a major political party She talks really openly about uh, race, gender, and class, about the sexism that she encountered in this election, but basically in all the elections that she's ever run, about her life with Bill, um, connections with other politicians. She's definitely also out to set the record straight. She writes about what the Clinton Foundation really is and points out that like many many more uh, someone tallied I guess like the amount of space given in newspapers to rumors about the Clinton Foundation during the election against like discussions of things that were going on with Russian hacking and it's way out of balance and so she's attempting to set the record straight and um, from her side on many of those things but this is Hillary Clinton the person um she talks about what happened the day after the election and how she felt going home and getting right into yoga pants and a hoodie and Not really remembering the rest of that day, but how she got herself together again afterwards. Much to my delight, there's stuff about her yoga and meditation practice. And she had talked during the election and previously about having a meditation practice. And I tweeted at some point, like, God, you know, I hope after this election we get to hear about. What Hillary's doing in meditation, because Lord knows she's tough, um, and manages to stay centered. So you get to hear about that, but you also get stuff like that she and I share a love of goldfish crackers. Um, and so there's a lot of really human stuff. There's also a lot of behind the scenes things about how the campaign runs. Um, if you are interested in politics and how the White House runs and how political campaigns run, you will like this. If you're just interested in her remarkable, interesting, glass ceiling breaking life, you will find tons of interesting things in it. And as well um, and I think even if you were not a Hillary supporter if you're interested in what it's going to take for us to get a woman as the first female president and what the experience of being the first one to go to the point of being a, a very likely winner there um, and the first serious candidate was uh, that's very interesting stuff as well and also the book is intended to be you know if we're ever going to get there if we're ever going to get a woman into the highest office in the land we need to understand what happened in this election but moreover there's some interesting connections to the Brene Brown book like I feel like Brene and Hillary either talk to each other all the time or maybe they should um, because also if we're going to heal the nation if we're going to come back from this place of divisiveness and come together and treat each other humanely and you know move forward um, to acknowledge the pain and the disconnection that a lot of people feel, and that drove you know a lot of the ugly stuff we saw during the election, and that we're still seeing, um, we need to be handling things differently and so Hillary wants to go there as well to how do we acknowledge the very real feelings that have driven some of these very ugly things that have happened and try to heal them and come back. Um, it's very I think it's very generous. Um, it's very open, um, very vulnerable especially for someone who admits in the book to having been very guarded with the press for several decades now and and you know <laughs> for very good reason um, but she's taking her guard down. It's really interesting to see see that side of her. I'm really really enjoying it. It's what happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Wow. So We said a lot of words today. We sure did, but it's it's good books yeah. this week and worth talking about. Those are our picks for the week today. What are you going to go read next?
1: I am about to start Mean by Miriam Gerba, which is out from Coffeehouse Press and Emily Books. Uh it's not out now. It's out in November. Um, it says it is true crime, memoir, and ghost story. It Ooh. is the bold and hilarious tale of Miriam Gerba's coming of age as a queer mixed race chicana, blending radical formal fluidity and caustic humor Gerba takes on sexual violence, small towns, and race, turning what might be tragic into piercing, revealing comedy. Sounds amazing.
0: That does sound good. I am going to read Curry. Eating, Reading, and Race by Nabin Ruthnam. Um There was an essay that went around the literary internet a few weeks ago that Nabin Ruthnam wrote about what happens when he writes under a white pseudonym and how different the reception to his work is when people think that he's a white man uh, versus an Indian man. Uh, and I'm really looking forward. This is a book-length exploration of those same kinds of ideas. And it is from who is it from? Coach House Books. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. It promises to be full of interesting ideas.
1: Yeah, I have that too. I'm excited. I haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, but.
0: That essay was so good. Um, if you're listening to this and your ears are pricking up, go Google it. Um, Nabin Ruthnum. It's R-U-T-H-N-U-M. Uh, and you'll be able to find your way there so that's our show this week for Take being a day late yeah <laughs> for being a day late and very confused about where we are in time and space Two days we have lots of good books today thank you to our sponsors Talenti, Third Love and Montpellier Parade by Carl Geary we'll have links to all of those in the show notes and you can find Montpellier Parade wherever books are sold or go to thirdlove.com books to start your free 30 day trial with one of their bras um, if you have something to say to us you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com or hit us up on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. I'm here for all your videos of people chasing bats out of their houses. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, please do that. It helps other readers to find their way to us. Also, don't forget to check out the teaser episode of our new show,
1: Recommended, where you will hear interesting people
0: recommend books they love. And
1: as much as we would love to tell you about more books today we just don't have the time but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter and in the meantime in the meantime happy happy reading